0: Thanks for checking out the Ascent Church podcast. Our mission is to reach, equip, and impact others exactly where they are as we rise to new life in Christ. We hope that this message encourages you. Now, here's Pastor Thomas Lane. Somebody say, that's awkward. That's awkward. We're getting into it today. I hope you were ready to feel a little awkward because that is what's going down today. It's going to be one for the ages. It really, really is. So here's what we're doing. I mentioned this, but in case, you, you know, some of y'all were chatting, giving each other phone numbers. I'm cool if you get a date during the handshake moment. I'm fine with that, all right? I'm cool with it. But the series we're in is called, Well, That's Awkward. I tell you each week, you should read the Bible. You should get this app called YouVersion. You should do devotionals, reading plans. It's a great, great thing, but the Bible's awkward. Right on, there's some parts you read and you're like, what, huh? It's just an awkward book in some parts. So what we're doing is I'm looking at I've looked at what I believe are some of the most awkward passages in all the Bible and all of scripture. And we're going to check them out together. We're not going to be afraid of the awkward. We're not going to run from it. We're not going to tiptoe around it. All right. We're going to just embrace it and dig in and see what God has to show us. So this is kind of a weird series, but it's summary and it's a little light and it's fun. And we're very, very excited. Um, have you guys ever heard the phrase, a flyover state? Anyone ever, ever heard that? Like, you know, if you're on an airplane, we're going over flyover states. I want to ask you is anyone from a flyover state? A few, shout out your flyover state. I heard Kansas strong and bold. Now, I've never been to Kansas, and I've, last hour, Kansas was represented too. Now, I've never been to Kansas, but I would, if I was from Kansas, I would be offended. If someone was like, oh, you're just a, it's just a flyover state, there's nothing there. It's just for passing over. I care what's before it and what's after it, but Kansas, there's nothing in Kansas. I can't imagine that people in Kansas, maybe a few of them, um, call Kansas a flyover state. Like I can't imagine being there and being like my home, my community, my church, my family, this is all flyover. It's not important. There's no value here. It's not worth anything. Just fly on over. Keep on going, everybody. Every time a plane goes by, you just wave and say, you made a good call, not landing here. Keep on going. Keep on going. The passage we're going to study today is a flyover passage, is you just skip it. Next, you're like, what is it saying? What's going on? I don't understand it. I don't get it. I'm confused. It's a flyover passage. We just skip it. We don't understand it. We either don't understand it or we don't want to. So we just skip it. But we're going to engage in it today. If you've ever said, I'm going to read the Bible all the way through. This is in the first book of the Bible. It's in this book called Genesis. And it's real easy to just skip on over it. Next, next, next. What else we got? Ironically, this is my hero's favorite passage. He says it's the most significant in the whole Old Testament. Out of 23,145 verses, my man, my hero says, this is significant. And that just blows my mind because I know I used to just skip it. I just skim by, I don't really know what this is saying. Let's just see what else we've got. I don't know if you've noticed this, but I've heard people say this, but sometimes if you've read the Bible, if you've engaged with the scripture, sometimes the Old Testament God seems a little different than in the New Testament. Like sometimes in the Old Testament, people say this is a generalization, this isn't true. But people will say, oh, in the Old Testament, he's kind of wrathful and vengeful and all that. And in the New Testament, he's all loving. He goes from kind of angry, mean to he's very loving. And this is, this is a bad joke. I've already done one bad joke. Will you spare me a second one? Thank you. Come on, baby. So um, I heard it said, this is bad theology. This is bad theology. But the the whole idea is like, yeah, God was a little angry, a little rough around the edges. But, you know, the New Testament comes along. Jesus comes along. Essentially, God had a kid and kind of mellowed out a bit. Okay, that's not good theology. That's not true. Don't quote me on that. Nobody put that on Facebook. That's not true. The Bible is cohesive. Same God all the way throughout. But for some reason, we tend to kind of say, oh, he's changed. He hasn't changed a bit. And the message of the Bible hasn't changed. The inherent message of the Bible is a thing called the gospel. Somebody say gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel, is, all it means is an announcement, a message. The gospel is this. We, meaning you and me, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we would ever dare believe. But at the exact same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we would ever dare hope. That is the message of the Bible. We are more sinful and flawed than we could ever fathom. But at the exact same time, at the exact same time, we are also more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we would ever dare hope. That is not a New Testament thing. That is something throughout the entire scripture. The passage we're going to read has the entire gospel in it, the entire message of the Bible right here in it. But what's a bummer is we pass over it. We skip it. We don't see it as important. I, I would bet you've never heard a sermon on this. If you're new to church, of course you haven't. Um, but some of y'all, I would, I would wager, you've been to church your whole life, and I'm going to start talking, and you're going to say, is this in the Bible? Is he making stuff up again? Okay, that's what you may be thinking. I promise you it's in there. This is a face-to-face meeting with God, absolutely one of the strangest most bizarre, and most awkward that you could imagine. Let's pray, and we'll get into it. God, I just thank you for this church. I thank you, God, for the new people here. Help them feel comfortable. I thank you for the people checking out church and just trying to figure this stuff out. I hope that they feel comfortable, that they can just relax and engage and eat a whole box of donuts and coffee and just have a blast today. God, speak to us. Challenge us. Grow us. We love you, and God, we need you each and every day. In your son's good name, amen. We're going to go to a book called Genesis. It's the first book of the Bible. We're going to chapter 15. We're going to start at verse one. You can follow along if you brought a Bible or you can just look up here yeah, and follow right behind me. This is Genesis 15:1. after this. So keep in mind, this is like the very beginning of the Bible, 15 chapters in. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Let's start there. Let's start there. You see, Abram, was this dude who's the father of the faith. Abram, Abraham, same dude, slightly different name. That's a whole different sermon. We're not talking about that today. But Abram, Abraham, same person. He's kind of the father of the faith. This is around 2100 BC. This is like 4,000 years ago, long, long time ago. God essentially comes to him and says, hey, I'm gonna work through you and your children and through you and your children, I'm gonna bless the entire world. Salvation to all the world is gonna come through your family. That's kind of a big deal. That's kind of a big deal. And God says something interesting to him. He says, do not be afraid. Now, this is the most common command we see in scripture. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. It's easy to say that, but God doesn't stop there. He goes on. He says, why? Do not be afraid. Well, why? Because I am your shield, your very great reward. I think God is saying this. The reason we have issues, the reason we worry, the reason we have anxiety, the reason we have fear is because something else is our shield. Something else is our very great reward. Let's start with shield. Here's what shield is. God says, I'm your shield. It causes a lot of stress and anxiety in your life and in my own when something else is our shield. Meaning we go to something else for protection, something else to take the hit for, something else to kind of, really just kind of soften the blow because world, I mean, the world just kind of pounds you sometimes. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like that? So has anyone ever seen a Captain America movie? Captain America has his shield. And he's got to have his shield. And in the most recent one, Infinity War, he doesn't have his shield. Okay, what's he going to do? And there's a big battle coming. Okay, there's a big battle. And they're in Wakanda and he needs a shield. And the king, T'Challa says, bad accent, get this man a shield. Worst Black Panther voice you've ever heard. But he says, get him a shield meaning a battle's coming, baby. This man needs a shield. Of course, he's super strong, super fast, and super handsome, but that doesn't matter. He needs a shield, and he got, rather than a circular shield, he got these two shields on his arm, and he's punching people. is awesome, awesome. The point is, Captain America needs a shield. I need a shield. You need a shield. But the question remains, what is your shield? The shield is the thing that helps you sleep at night. That is a buffer. Now, you have shields around your house. You don't think about it, doors or shields okay? Alarm systems are shields. Weapons, if you have them, are shields. Fences are shields. These are all shields. But what is that thing that helps you sleep at night? For some of you, it's that your children are safe. That's your shield. For some of you, it's that you got enough money in the bank or your business is bigger, your empire is going the way you want it to. That is your shield. That's a thing. If you start to feel threatened or worried, you're like, well, at least I have that. I can sleep at night. But the problem with these shields is everything I just mentioned can change. Jesus once said this. He said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust can consume and where thieves can break in and steal, but rather store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither wroth, wroth, moths nor rust can consume and where thieves cannot break in and steal for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. What he's saying is this. We put a lot of stock in things on earth, but ironically, ironically, moths, can destroy some of our favorite things. Stupid little bug. Stupid little, stupid little bug can destroy some of our favorite things. Rust, just time can destroy it. Thieves can break in and steal. We place a lot of stock in things that can be destroyed. God wants to be our shield. He wants to be that thing that we can turn to that is our buffer that says, you know what? I'm gonna have your back no matter what because nothing can touch him. Nothing can ever take him away. Shields are important, but he also says, I'm your very great reward. Your great reward is the thing your heart longs after. It's that thing at the end of the day, it says, well, you know what? Today was bad or this happened or that happened, but as long as I have that, as long as I have that, I'm okay. And often our great reward are good things. It's our family, our kids, our house, our job. And these aren't bad things, but the problem is if you make a reward, your great reward, there's gonna be problems. There's gonna be complications, complications. Because often we don't treat God as our great reward. We don't. We treat him as the thing to get us our great reward. We treat God as a means to an end. Meaning we're like, God, you're cool, but I really just want you to bring me some peace. I need you in my life to help me figure out my finances. I want you in my life to bring, to, so I feel good, so I can have meaning. I want you in my life so I can pray to you and you make me feel better that my kids are running around. You'll keep them safe. God is not a great reward in those situations. He's a means to an end. Is a means to an end. That girl, that comfort, that job, that security, these are all not bad things, but I think we use God to give us these things. We look to other things to protect us, shields. We look to other things to fulfill us, great rewards. You need to realize this, whatever your great reward is, that is the thing that you are truly worshiping. That is the thing your life is revolving around. That's the thing that everything revolves around. A lot of us, we don't love God for God. We use them as a means to an end. We use them to get that thing, to give us rest, to do whatever. We say, God, protect my kids. God, protect my business. God, protect my spouse. It's not bad to pray for your spouse, but if you value them over than God, you're setting yourself up for heartbreak when something could and will inevitably happen. Verse two, verse two. But Abram said, he said, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. You see, God promised Abraham children. Like I said, I'm gonna bless the nations through you. I'm gonna give you lots of children, but so far there's nothing. Has God ever promised you something, but you haven't received it yet? Has God promised you love and joy, but you just don't feel it? Has God promised you a community, but you just don't feel like you fit in? Has God promised you peace through this deployment, but you just don't have any? Has God promised you peace through the chaos of life, but you still are riddled with anxiety? How do you respond in the waiting? When you're waiting for that stuff, that that deployment to end, the loneliness, you don't have it. And I came to tell you, keep waiting, keep waiting, keep waiting. Hold on. Someone in this room is about to give up. Someone in this room was waiting for that person to get back from that deployment. And you're like, I'll find love elsewhere. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Sometimes things ain't working out at work the way you wanted them to. You're about to fudge the numbers a little bit, about to do this, about to compromise your character. I'm telling you, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. God is not a microwave kind of God. Some things take time. Somebody say, some things take time. Some things take time. They really do. See, some of y'all, you treat God and his blessings like a big bite at 7 Eleven. Y'all ever had a big bite? AKA an all day stomach ache? You know what I'm talking about? Some of y'all, this is how you treat God. This is how you treat him. He's just sitting there smiling in 7-Eleven, and you can go in whenever you want. He's walking. He's smiling. He says, hey, and he's got the glove on, and he's got that big old cylindrical thingamajig that spins the hot dogs around. God, Only God knows how long they've been there, okay? Could be <laughs> since the Depression, but they're spinning and hot, so maybe they're kind of fresh. But you go in, and you, pick, you say, God, I want that blessing, and he says, mm-hmm, and he gets his little tongs, and he puts it on them cardboard bread jeremiah knows what i'm talking about nasty bread little box gives it to you maybe you don't like the big bite maybe you like the cheeseburger big bite y'all know about the cheeseburger big bite cheeseburger big bite is essentially a cheeseburger ground up and mushed together formed like a hot dog on the spinner you want a stomachache for a week you eat a cheeseburger big bite all right you can go get one today that's what we want from god we say god i want my blessing i want it now answer my prayer now I want it now, but God doesn't want to give you a big bite. Sometimes when you move things along too fast, you settle, you compromise. God doesn't want to give you a big bite. He wants to give you a prime rib. He wants to give you a Boston butt. I don't even know what that is, but it's fun to say. It's fun to say Boston butt in church. I'll say it again. Boston butt. Okay. He wants to give you one, but some of these take time. God is not a seven 11 spinner thing. God, he's a big green egg kind of God. Where are we? Where's the big green egg? Oh Lord. This is the big green egg. This is the ultimate symbol of dadhood. Okay, I don't have one. I'm not ready yet. I tried to buy one and the man said, you are not worthy. All right, one day I'm going to get there. It's like a ceramic cooker from heaven. Okay, but you need to know it takes time. Okay, you can't put a ribeye or a Boston butt in that and come back in two minutes and say, why is it not done? I waited three minutes. What ha- God, do you not love me? Have you abandoned me? Do you not have plans for my life? No, no, no. You would never do that. You'd have to wait. You'd have to wait. You'd have to wait. He's a big green egg kind of God. The theme is waiting. The theme is waiting. My man, Jake, he usually sits right there. I don't see him today, but he's awesome. You know, he's probably with his big green egg. He's got one. And I follow him on Instagram and his torture. <laughs> He'll get up at 5 a.m., heats up the big green egg, puts on the Boston butt season it, rub, rub on it. And he'll go to church, go to the ballpark, go to the gym. He'll do whatever he wants to do and comes back. And by seven, it's perfect. Melt in your mouth, fall off the bone, delicious. But the thing is, you can't force it. And Jake doesn't check every five minutes. Is it done? Is it done? Is it done? If he did, two things would happen. First off, he'd be constantly frustrated. That's how some of y'all are. God, where's my blessing? God, why have you done this? Some of you would be very frustrated. And also, if you checked every five minutes, it would never get done. The heat wouldn't build up. The heat would get out. It would constantly be rare. It would constantly make his stomach hurt if he tried to eat it. That is what we try to do. The theme is waiting. These things take time. Tell somebody, these things take time. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. Okay, have no kids. Okay, 99 years old. Okay, kind of getting up there. Okay, all right, all right. Um, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh. God is a dot, dot, dot kind of God. This is what he does. Abram says, hey, you promised I'd have kids. Great, love that idea. But I'm 99. Wife, he's 90. Been waiting 25 years. You know what God says? Dot, dot, dot. And that's what he does. Some of y'all give him a list of excuses. God, I'm, well, this is happening at work and that happens and I'm worried about this and I'm stressed out about this move. Should I move here? Or should I not? Should I make this? Should I take this job or should I not? Should I dig this person or should I not? What should I do? And we're giving God this list of excuses on how he can bless us. And he says, dot, 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 and he's a dot, dot, dot kind of God. We love to hit him with his, with excuses, and he just looks at us and smiles. Look what God does. Abram gives him an excuse. Look at verse 5. He took him outside and said, he said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall so your offspring be. 99 years old, God says, still, I'm going to work something through you. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. You see, a lot of us are fine with God and we're fine with serving God as long as it makes sense to me. I'll give as long as it makes sense to me. I'll give as long as I can enjoy. I'll give as long as I can get a I can get a cushion so my fanny doesn't fall asleep every day. Like I'll give if I can partake and enjoy. I'll give if we can make sure the AC works. Okay, I'll give as long as it benefits me. I'll serve as long as it benefits me. I'll serve as long as it makes me feel good. As long as it makes me feel holy, as long as it makes me feel important, as long as I can meet and serve next to that cute girl, that cute guy that I see every week holding the door. Okay, I'll do that. But y'all, it's not the point of faith. That's not what Abram is doing here. The true essence of faith is believing even when it doesn't make sense. The true essence of faith is believing almost contrary to sense. Everything in Abram's mind must have said, how could this happen? How could he do this? But God just said, I need you to trust me. And God took that as righteousness. Seven he also said to him, "I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it." But Abram said, "Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it?" This is where Abram is just like us. He's just like me, he's just like you. Sometimes, look, 2100 BC, it's kind of like, what do I how can I relate to this dude? We have nothing in common. He's just like us. God says, I'm going to bless you. I have a plan for your life. I'm going to work in your life. I'm a relationship with you. You know what he says? He says, how can I know? How can I know? That's exactly what we say. God, I need some proof. I need you to show me. I need you to answer my questions. I need you to make it a little more obvious. Someone said once, why is it so hard to trust God sometimes? God, why is it so hard to believe in you? But God says, look, I want to show you. I want to show you. Look what he does. Look what he does. Verse nine. So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer. Is that right? Bring me, what? This is the conversation. God, how can I know you love me? How can I know you trust, that I can trust you? How can I know you have plans for my life? Bring me a heifer. Okay? It gets more awkward. And a goat and a ram. Because I have those just lying around. Okay? Each three years old, getting specific now, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Somebody say, well, that's awkward. What is going on? This makes no sense to us. But Abram knew exactly what was going on. Abram knew. We're like, what? what? This is probably why we skip it. I don't get this. But Abram knew exactly what was going on. Look, look at 10. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The, The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Are we barbecuing? Are we busting out the big green egg? What is going on here? What is going on here? Abram knew something we didn't because our culture has changed. God said, let's make a covenant. He said, let's make a deal. Let's sign a contract. You see, they were an oral culture, more visual emphasis on speaking. We're we're kind of a written culture. So if we're going to sign a contract, and we talked about this last week, if I'm buying a house, you got to sign all over the place. Initial this, sign that 30,000 times. And there's terms and conditions. If I break this, this happens. If I do that, this happens. Good and bad. I do weddings all the time. After the wedding, you know what I do? I sign. Abram, if he was here, he would say, how wimpy. How wimpy of you. Oh, I signed the document. Who cares? They said, let's, let's up the stakes a little bit. When they were doing a contract, here's what they would do. They would get the animal. This is gross. Sorry if Peter's in the house, okay? But different culture. And they would actually cut an animal in two and they'd make a little pathway. They'd make a little pathway. It's like this little sausage biscuit here that I got from Hardee's for 69 cents. I wouldn't dare eat it. I probably wouldn't be able to preach if I ate it. But they would get the the meat, this kind of meat, something like that. They break it in half, okay? And they put it down, okay? And to make the covenant, they didn't sign the dotted line. They walked between the heifer, the goat, and the ram. They walked between it. Now, what did that do? What did that do? Let me tell you what that did. The key is this when making a covenant, you would act out the consequence of unfaithfulness meaning this meaning oh if I don't sign the dotted line what happens to me oh I lose this I lose that no no no. they said look I'm gonna rip this animal in half if you don't do what you signed up for that's what's gonna happen to you it raised the stakes a little bit okay there probably less divorces there probably less people backing out of contracts fudging the numbers if you legit had to cut, cut an animal in half lay it down and you both had to walk through it I'm gonna walk through you're gonna walk through. we're signing this thing together that's what they did It sounds like crazy town, but it's what they did. Look at Jeremiah 34, 18. God says this. He says, those who have violated my covenant and have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant they made before me. He said, I will treat like the calf they cut in two and then walk between its pieces. Meaning this, if you break the covenant, if you sign, so to speak, and this is how they sign, broke the animal in half, walk between it. Okay, and if I break it, if I'm dishonest, if I lie, if I don't show up how I'm supposed to, that's gonna happen to me. That person can break me in half, okay? Little bit different than what we're used to. Are we, uh, do we understand that? Okay. This is important for me to move on. Are we, are we good? Do we get that? I'm not saying, do you agree with it? I'm saying, do you understand? We good? Okay. That's what they did. So Abram cuts them in half, lays them out 11. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. What a stupid thing to add to the Bible. Like this is the Bible, right? You ever read a random detail and say, who, who cares? Vultures came, or oh, a seagull showed up, okay? How does this further the narrative? God wants you to get, you're gonna have to wait, okay? It took so much time that birds started to gather and Abram's shooing them away. It's a weird detail, but I think the point of the story may be that to be a person of faith, you better get used to waiting. Better build that patience muscle up a little bit. Verse 12, as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep. And a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. That's awkward. That's awkward. It's almost as if this, it's almost as if a darkness fell on him as God spoke to him about dark things. Dark things. 13, then the Lord said to him, he said, no, for certain that for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own. And they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And after, afterward, they will come out with great possessions. Abraham is the father of the faith. He's the father. And it's as if God is saying, let me give you a little intro to what being a person of faith is like, okay? There's gonna be hardship. Just because you're a person of faith doesn't mean life is always gonna be rainbows and smiles and gumdrops and sunshine. You and I both, don't you lie to me. If you're a person of faith, there's this idea. You're like, nothing real bad's gonna to happen to me. Like maybe those sinners over there, no offense to this section, but you're like, I go to church every week. I give, I bring people like, I'm not saying my life will be perfect, but God will protect me. Like this stuff may happen, but this stuff will never happen. Not to me. If I was Abram, that's what I would have thought. I would have said, wait, my, my descendants are going to be slaves. They're going to be mistreated. God is trying to say something to us. He's trying to say, look, so many people are going to want to walk away because of an expectation. God is telling you here, bad things might happen. God's telling you that bad things are gonna happen. Some of you right now are tempted to walk away from your faith. Right freaking now, you wanna, you wanna just ditch it. You wanna bail. You wanna quit. Because you said, if God really loved me, that wouldn't have happened. If God really had my back, he wouldn't have let that happen to me. My wife wouldn't have left if God really loved me. All right? This wouldn't have fallen apart if God really had my back. You have no idea what he's up to. You have no idea what he's doing. And it's so easy for us to peg God, say, God, this is how you have to act. We have no idea what he's doing. We have no idea what he's doing in our lives, but some of you are tempted to walk away. I want to challenge you to wait. Be open to the possibility that he's doing something in your life so big that you just can't fathom it, that it doesn't make sense. Just like here with Abram. 15, God continues, he says, you, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. He makes it work out in the end. There is joy, there is bliss, there is happiness. It comes for those who trust him, but the road to eternal joy is often marked with difficulty, with struggle, with the grind. 17, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Is Abraham blazing and smoking the fire pot? What, what did he dream? What? A smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and it passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. He said, to your descendants, I give this land. Something happened. It says smoke, it says blaze. What does that mean? These two phrases are used several times in scripture. At Mount Sinai, God comes down and he gives a message to Moses. Those two words are there, fire, smoke, blaze. At the exodus, when God's people are wandering through the desert, they're being led by this pillar of clouded smoke. The same two words appear. These words signify God's presence. It's bright. It's hard to look at. It's fiery. It's smoky. By the way, one of the, one of the best ways I've heard this described is by one minister. He said this. He said, at that minute, suddenly, in the midst of darkness, a searing streak of lightning appeared and held its shape. Just imagine that for a second. It's pitch black and a lightning bolt strikes, and it holds its shape. It spewed fire and smoke and sparks. It was the presence of God. Have you ever seen lightning strike? It's horrifying. Okay, it'll mess you up. If it's close, you can actually feel the heat come off of it. It's a terrifying thing. It strikes, and there's sparks, and there's flame, and it kind of feels like it freezes. That's exactly what happened to Abram. But this is up close, and this is personal. Remember the tension. What's happening in the story? It's easy to get lost. It's a lot of details. The tension is this, is how can I know? How can I know God loves me? How can I know he has my back? How can I know he has a plan for my life? How can I know? The look of the pot and the torch is not the shocking thing, but what does the lightning bolt do? It says God passed between the pieces. God is signing the dotted line. God's signing the covenant. He says, I'm in, are you? He said, I'm in. He's saying this, he's saying, I'm in, I agree. Meaning this, if God fails to live up to his end, he will become like the animals, torn in half, dead, ripped apart, pieces. But notice this, this is the most shocking part of the story. God goes through, but he never says, Abraham, you go next. Ordinarily, contract, God will go through and then I'm gonna go through. But God never does that. He goes through by himself. What does this mean? What does this mean? When someone goes through alone, that meant they're taking responsibility for both parties. They're taking ownership for both parties' actions. If I don't hold up my end, let me become like these animals. But if you screw up, if you don't hold up your end, may I still become like one of these animals. That's how deep the promise of God is. God is saying, I'm going through for both of us. I'm going through 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 for both of us. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. Salvation is not a cooperative effort. It's not God helps those who helps themselves. It's not try to do more good things than bad things. God might bless you. It's not try your hardest. And if you fail, God might push you over the edge. That is not the message of Christianity. God is saying, I will take upon myself the curse for both of us. He says, I'll do whatever it takes to bless you. He's saying, Abram, if I don't do my part, may I end up like this sausage biscuit. That's what he said. But he also said, Abram, if you don't do your part, may I end up like this sausage biscuit. I'll do whatever it takes. Abram, if you sin, may I end up like this? If you fall away, may I end up like this? If I drop the ball, may I end up like this? God is saying, I'm promising to bless you no matter what. He's saying, may I be like all these animals here? May my body be ripped to pieces if you sin. May my body be ripped to pieces if you screw up. May my body be ripped to pieces if you drop the ball, if you turn away. I'll do whatever it takes to bless you, to love you, to have a relationship with you. That is what God is showing, and that's what he's saying. He's saying, I'll do whatever it takes. No place else in the Bible is as clear and as beautiful as this. God says, I will take your punishment with you, for you. I will take your punishment for you. Notice how the passage started. What did God say? Did he say, I'm your sword? I'm your sword. No, he said, I'm your shield. Now, how does the shield defend you? You know how it takes the hit. It takes the blow. Sometimes a shield has to be destroyed to protect the person carrying it. Sometimes the shield has to get ripped to pieces to protect the person who's holding it. What does this mean? Abram asked, how can I know? How can I know that you'll fulfill your promises? How can I know that I can trust you? How can I know that you love me? How can I know that you have my back? How can I know that you are good and that you have a plan? How can I know? God said, let me show you. Talk is cheap, Abram, let me show you. And God passed between the pieces. You see, we as humanity, we failed to love God. We have failed to serve him. We have failed to love him. We've fallen away. God says, he says this, he shows us. He says, look, if it comes to it, if it comes to this, I'll do it. And guess what? It came to it. And he actually did it. Centuries later, darkness came down again. Mark 15, says this. It says at noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. The eternal God looked down at humanity, seeing our sin. Seeing that we had turned our back, seeing we went our own way, and he said, I'm going to bless you anyway. I'm going to do whatever it takes. Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, was up on a hill, just like the animals. Darkness did surround. He did bleed. He did suffer. He was ripped apart. He did die, just like the animals, just like the animals. Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, he took our sin. He took our shame. He took our punishment. He took God's justice on the cross for me and for you. You see, we didn't hold up our end. We sin. We fall short. We screw up. We turn from God. And you know what God said? God said, I'm going to bless you anyway. God said, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I promised. I passed through the pieces. I'm going to take the consequence upon myself. I will be ripped apart for you. And he actually did it. He did it on the cross. He did it on that hill. 2100 BC, he passed through the pieces. He said, if it comes to this, that my body will get ripped apart and die, I'll do it. Abram could in no way have fathomed what he was saying in that moment. But thousands of years later, when Jesus Christ hung upon that cross, light bulbs started to go off. His followers said, oh my God, he actually did it. He promised he would. He promised he'd be our shield. He promised he would have our back. He promised he would be there and he actually did it. And the sight for everyone to see. Salvation is not a cooperative effort. So many of us think if I just do enough good things, God has to love me. If I just do this and that, if I just come to church, God has to do this and that. The reality is it's all on him. He didn't say Abraham, come on, you come on through. No, by himself saying it is all on me. Jesus Christ absolutely paid it all. He paid it all for me. He paid it all for you. And if you were out there thinking, how can I know? You might ask it every day. How can I know he loves me? How can I know he has a plan? How can I know he actually is good? How can I know he's not going to abandon me? How can I know he actually is God and he is good? How can I know? Never forget. He didn't just give you words. He gave you a promise. And when it came down to it, he climbed upon that cross and he died for me and for you. When you have those doubts, when fears assail you, when you are losing sleep, when you just want to break down and cry in your car because no one else can see you there, when you lock yourself in the bathroom and you just need to let it out, you just need a good cry, I want you to look to one place. I want you to look to the cross. God promised to bless us. He promised to have a relationship with us. And he said, if it ever comes down to it, if I need to, I will bear the consequences of this. And he did. He died for me and for you. He ripped he was ripped to pieces for me and for you. Because he loves you that much and he wanted to show. Me. We believe Jesus is on the move in Virginia Beach. And if you would like to learn more about who we are and our mission, follow us at Ascent Church 757. If you would like to give to further our mission to impact this city and beyond, you can do so at our website ascentchurch.net. We hope to see you soon.